So the title of tonight's talk is Practicing in the Real World, <laughs> apparently. <clears throat> you know, I was in a monastery for eight years. And while we were in the monastery, you know, we were in a little bit of a protected environment, I guess you could say, and mostly people who were working on themselves, and mostly people with a similar understanding of kind of goodness or rightness. Um, but we would also be kidding ourselves if we didn't mention all of the humanness that people bring to situations like being a monk in a monastery or a nun in a monastery too. So we would often have fights or arguments or I'd be mad and there's even times where I would be mad for like a year at somebody and you're sitting with the same people every day so that doesn't make it much better. Um, and you kind of are just pouring all this anger out at them through your eyes, you know, this person, they're like this and they're like this and they don't, you know. And it was part of my personal growth and my process to start to realize, well, why exactly am I angry at this person? What is this exactly about? And when I reflected on my anger, why my anger arose, I could see specifically that my anger came from not setting boundaries properly, from not speaking out what I don't want or what I want, standing up for myself and not feeling bad about that, having the confidence to do what's in my own best interest and not taking any shit for it from anybody. And I would say that the day that I learned to do that and I was like shaking and stuff and I finally said no and um, I didn't really have that same kind of anger anymore kind of in my world and I watch anger specifically because a couple of you mentioned anger um, you know when I'm driving I drive a lot. I'm giving meditation in all these different places. I would say that's one of my big interactions with the real world is in my car. Um, because I'm usually going to places like this where you have a bunch of meditators who are, you know, respectful, polite, kind, open people. And then I, you know, get back in touch with the real world as I'm driving. So that's, I feel like, often my kind of little place where I'm looking around at what's going on. and. You know, with the times that I get cut off or that someone does something that I feel is really dangerous or someone else is actually like honking or yelling at me, um, which doesn't happen at me too much. It happens more when my girlfriend is driving. Yeah. Um, simply because I'm, I've been trained, I guess you could say, to just be very attentive to following rules um, by my parents. And she hasn't. She had a different blueprint. And so 
you know, she'll often sit there and the light changes to green and she'll just kind of be spacing out looking at stuff and people behind her will be honking and things like this. And, you know, and in my world that's something I would never do, you know, I'm always, okay, trying to do things that other people don't get mad at me, right? Because uh, as I was growing up, anything I did that was wrong, I got anger. And even if I did something that wasn't wrong, I could still get anger. So never really know when it's coming. Um, but often when she's driving and people kind of honk and they're yelling and they're shaking their fist, she'll look at them and she'll kind of just start laughing. And she'll just say, it's crazy that people get this angry about something like this. You know, if you look around at the world, all the actual things that are going on, you're getting angry at someone because they just didn't pay attention to the, really? That's the, that's the biggest thing going on right now for you to be angry about? And I've started realizing in which ways anger is a choice for myself, in which ways it's a choice. And that also means, for instance, like if I'm not setting my boundaries properly, um, then I'll get angry, right? So I make sure I do that so I don't get angry. And there's a lot of situations out there in the world that I look at also that are unfair and unjust. And, you know, like everybody else, I would swallow the pills of the media daily and see what the next thing that the president did on Facebook that I could get angry at. And, and it was a nonstop barrage of kind of outrageous, horrible, heartless things. But I saw for myself, I just feel like I'm drinking poison. And I really thought, you know, for what? And maybe there's other ways to resist. And especially if you're like retired and you're sitting at home all day and you're just sitting there, you know, just like imagine this picture of somebody sitting alone in a room just hooking themselves up to like this thing that's just feeding them all this, you know, unfairness and things that are going wrong and all this badness. And they're just sitting there alone in the room getting angry and it's like, what does that do for anything or for yourself? Like, it's actually absurd if you think about it, right? You're just sitting there alone in a room getting angry, you know? It could be righteous anger, but it's useless. It's just suffering. There's no point. Uh, I don't watch the news that much anymore. That's my way. Not to mention the fact that a lot of what comes through is made to be triggered triggering, made to create partisanship and tribalism and kind of emotional responses because that's what sells and gives attention. Um, my solution is to lead meditation groups, to be a kinder person, to try to understand people, to open dialogues, right? I don't need to really know everything that's going on in the news. I know simply what my capacity is as a human being to help and to do good and to be a part of the change that I want to see. And I just do that and I be that change. And I think there's a lot of people that maybe just complain or they just get reactive or they feel like they're victims of something, but they're actually not from their own end creating any actual proactive changes in the world or even in themselves, which I would say it's a little bit of a, you know, bit of a paradox, I guess, because we're so unhappy with how things are, but what is it the sentence that everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change, right? Everyone wants things to be done right, but nobody wants to be the one to put in that work. So I personally always try to look at things a little bit deeper and understand, and especially for myself, when I get angry, I look, why am I angry? And I'm not free of anger. Of course not. It's a human emotion, but I would say the amount of anger that I used to feel 
versus now, it's a huge difference, huge. I maybe get angry, you know, once a month or something. I'll get frustrated, you know, I feel grumpy or cranky or things like this, but I actually feel angry, not that much, not at all. You know, and also I try to understand other people. I understand myself. I've definitely hurt a lot of people in my life, you know, not intentionally, sometimes intentionally. Um, and I understand why I did it. And I'm like, yeah, that, you know, that's why people do that. That's what anger is. That's why you act out of anger. And even when I was in the monastery, you know, I remember, um, you know, a bully coming up to me in high school and kind of threatening me. And I was in the monastery when I was doing my prostrations and this image came up and I was so angry and I was like, man, I wish I just punched that kid in the face back then so I could just let it go right there, you know? I don't think that was actually the, would be the answer either though, right? And I kind of sat and I thought about it and I'm like, you know, that guy was such a jerk and, and I was really just angry because I felt so small that, you know, I just felt anger then towards this person because it made me feel so bad about myself. And then I kind of thought about it for a while, and then I remember, well, why, would, why did he even do that? What was it even about? And then it's because I was spending a lot of time with his girlfriend, and I maybe even liked her a little bit. And maybe he felt that, and actually felt like, hey, dude, you're crossing a boundary, and this isn't okay. And he even kind of said that in his aggression towards me. So the story that I carried through all these years about the situation was that there's this jerk who came up and he kind of started threatening me. But when I really stepped back and processed it and pulled it apart, I'm like, oh, I actually kind of created that situation. And when I look at a lot of those situations in my life, I can actually see that I also played a role in it, that there's something I could have done differently in some way. So part of this practice of meditation is also dealing with our emotions as they arise. Right, so we say that in Buddhism they call them the three poisons, right, or the three taints. The Pali word is the kleshas. And this is greed, hatred, and delusion, are these kind of three basic things. And if you look at any of the problems in the world, um, you could bring them down to greed, hatred, and delusion. And even the Buddha would say, really, if you even look at the cycle of rebirth, that comes down to greed, hatred, and delusion. So really every single speck of suffering that you feel comes down to greed, hatred, and delusion, whether your own or somebody else's. And if you want to even look deeper, if you really look at what is greed, that, that need to have, to possess, to have more, to maybe get bigger, it feels like powerful, it's actually based out of fear a lot of times if you think about it. Um, Greed is a form of delusion as well. And if you think about anger close enough, you might also see that anger is also a form of delusion in a lot of different ways. And so one could even drive the whole thing down to this delusion, this, this misperception, this misunderstanding of how things are, of the right way to solve things, of what brings happiness. Anger, for instance, it makes you feel like you're powerful. Right? So I assume when you're watching the news and you see all these things, it makes you feel very vulnerable and there's this injustice and all this, and then you get angry because now again you feel powerful. You're not doing anything, you're just shaking your fist at your TV screen, but it gives you again the sense of being in control of something. Yeah, so also anger is sometimes just that. It's just to give you again this feeling of being in control of something. Anger feels righteous, right? You feel right. 
it burns. You're like, yes, powerful, right? Punch somebody. Yeah, I'm strong now. Violence, right? It all comes from that wanting control. Violence, it's like the language of the, you know, the oppressed or the voiceless sometimes, right? Nothing else. You just lash out. Um, what I've seen through my practice is that, you know, as I sit in meditation, I, you know, used to teach meditation by saying everybody at the first class, you know, I'm not going to teach you how to meditate. I'm going to show you why you can't meditate. Because usually when you sit down, what comes up are all of the things that are keeping you from meditating. All of the thoughts, all of the plans, all of the worries, all the stuff like that, all that crap, all that junk, all your karma comes up. And you're kind of faced with this dilemma of, I'm here to be peaceful, but I'm now like the trash can is dumping over my head and all of my shit's falling on me. And how am I supposed to deal with that? What's that about? Um, so, you know, for myself personally, when I meditate, I let go of things as much as I can. Um, but I also have done, again, like about 15 years of really intense, like, inner work. And I would say for at least 10 of those years, when stuff would come up, I wouldn't let it go. I would look at it right away and I would feel it. And I'd sit there and I'd be angry and I'd be angry and I'd be angry and I'd start to try to understand well, what is the point. And even if I'm angry and it comes down to the fact that I was treated unfairly, then I feel I was treated unfairly and that sucks. And maybe I would start crying or something and I'd kind of release that and I'd feel how horrible that feels to be treated unfairly. And I'd recognize that unfairness is a part of life and also there's times that I've treated other people unfairly as well and all you can kind of do is just feel that stuff, process it, right? Anger, again, it's the protection mechanism often. So to feel underneath that anger as if there's like a wound, right? If you feel that something, you've, an injustice has been done to you, an injustice, you, you feel that and you really let yourself feel that without the anger. Actually just feel the pain of what was done and express that. Cry it out, release it, let it go. And then also really make the promise, I'll never do that to anybody again because I know how that feels. Right? And that's how we can kind of use that stuff as the fuel and the fodder to kind of move us in a better direction for ourselves, which is again all that we can do in some way is start to be the change that we want to see. So. Also, there's this question of like meditation is all well and good, but then, you know, what does that do for everything else in my life? Or we're not in a closed system, right? We still have to interact with people and talk and all of this stuff. And again, I can say for myself that because of my meditation practice, it allowed me to start facing some of my deeper things and processing them because. You know, let's say that Doug here, he's really, he watched the news today and he's really upset and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> and then he goes outside and then there's a guy walking by him with like an American flag hat who, you know, looks, looks at him funny and says, are you a foreigner? You know, and because Doug is all riled up, he'll hit that guy, right? Because he has like an open wound, right? An open emotional wound that that guy just triggered and now Doug explodes. Whereas if he had gone through this process during his meditation and he felt it and he released and he understood, okay, actually right now I'm, I feel small, I feel helpless, I feel powerless. That's actually my feeling. And so what is the way to get me power that's actually empowering? You know, and it's not just getting angry. It's like I feel super helpless and powerless. I'm going to, you know, 
call my friends and make sure they're doing okay, or I'm going to you know, start a, a charity or an organization, or I'm going to go and volunteer or talk to people, or I'm going to find a way to be good. You, know, it's, you use that same energy of feeling powerless, and you then do something that can give you, you know. Then if that same guy walked by with that hat and he said, are you a foreigner? You'd look at him and you'd say, brother, even if I was, it doesn't matter. And you just keep walking, you know, because you wouldn't have that open, exposed wound in yourself. Yeah, there'd be no point for him to dock into, so to say. So one of the things that meditation helps with in the daily life is that because you've been going through and dealing with all of your crap, when things in your normal life that would normally trigger you come, they don't. And I said this in my talk the other day, um, I think actually yesterday I gave a talk, and I said that it's kind of like um, building your immune system. That because you're meditating, you're building this place of peace, this place of groundedness, this stability, um, that you're almost building your, your emotional and your mental immune system up, that you can go out into the world and you're not kind of hit around as much, that you feel more grounded in yourself, you feel more clear, you feel more stable, you know more of like what you want and what makes sense to you and how you want to proceed, and you're not just kind of swayed by the circumstances that you encounter. Um, so the practice of meditation, it really creates that kind of stability in yourself too for facing life. So those are all um, really important psychological, I would even say, benefits. But because I, we were kind of mentioning my talk from last week about going into these deeper states, and now we're kind of talking about this, so there's even a bridge between those. Because I can really say that the deeper meditation experiences that I've made of, uh, you know, everything dissolving, you know, in, and, um, and these feelings of really deeply just perceiving that there is no self in that sense, that there's no, like, Seth inside of here with the control sticks, you know, like looking through my eyes and reacting to my feelings, that, that it's just a bunch of processes reacting off of each other. Um, I remember, so something that since I was a kid, I'd been afraid of death. Like I'd wake up, you know, when I was five years old in my bedroom and think, oh my God, I'm going to die someday. Like what happens when you die? This isn't going to be here, but this is all that I know. Is there going to be nothing? What's going to happen? You know? And that same fear and that same feeling, that followed me into the monastery. And I even one day took one of the books, one of the collections of the Buddhist teachings, and I said, Buddha, you know, talk to me through the ages. Like, you were omniscient. Like, say something in a certain way that now it'll speak to me directly what I need. You know, you knew that I would be here, so speak to me. And I opened the book and I pointed. And I was like, what should I practice? And it looked and it said, fear of death. You know, and I closed the book, and I was like, wow, okay, that's pretty direct. You know, and I reflected then a lot on death and used that as my practice to really push me forward. Like, you are going to die, Seth. Like, move forward. Do something. And I remember that I had this one night, I think I was reading a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, and I think it's called Old Path, White Clouds, which is an amazing book. It's the story of the Buddha, but it's just written so beautifully, and it's so accessible. It's like a fun, it's like a good read but it's also the story of the Buddha with Buddhist teachings built into it. So Old Path, White Clouds is like a thick book, it's great. Um, and I remember reading it and somebody said something along the lines of, you know, well, what, what happens, you know, if, if there's no self, then, then what is rebirth? What gets reborn? 
you know, who gets reborn if there's no self in Buddhism? And he said, well, there is the body, and there's body awareness, you know, there is uh, kind of like perceptions, there are feelings, yeah, there's kind of karmic flows, there is consciousness, you know, and that's it. And I kind of sat there in my room and I was like, the body, and I suddenly felt my body sitting there, and then I said, perception and then I felt that like my perceptions like what are the perceptions that I have of this moment and then my kind of like flows of karma like the things arising the things that it wants to do and then the consciousness which is like eyes that are seeing ears that are hearing mind that is perceiving and it was this incredible moment where all of that kind of arose but then it was clear that there is no there's nothing else there's nothing inside of that there's just a body with feelings and perceptions and consciousnesses that are acting and reacting, and that's it. They're all just kind of playing off of each other. And it was this incredible, um, I, however to describe it, this moment of incredible peace and openness and freedom. I guess that would be the only word for it, freedom. And I, and I realized, and it's funny because there was no feeling of I, so now I'm talking in reference points, but like, so there was the realization, right, that there is no I, and this body stood up, and it was like, oh my God, you know, and these perceptions were kind of alert, and all the and the, the consciousnesses were just flowing, but there was nothing kind of binding any of them together. And then the thought arose that if somebody came into my bedroom right then with a gun and held it to my chest and said, I'm going to kill you, I would have said, go ahead, shoot this body. Doesn't matter. Total freedom, total, total freedom, not even afraid of death, because who actually dies? And that was a perception, not like a thought experiment. That was a true, deep perception and experience. And then over my monastic career, I guess if you want to call it, the times that I was on meditation retreats or going deeper, then there was many other experiences, and I've returned to that same place n numerous times, and sometimes in very, very deep meditative states. And it started cracking open on a really deep level the sense of self. It started cracking open the ego, cracking open the psyche, cracking open uh, this feeling of, of being something important, something that needs to be protected, something that's here, really here. And the more that that started kind of cracking and this rift started widening, all of my daily life started having that as its echo in the background of my experience. That everything that I did had those echoes in it. That, that the, the scent of it was always present. That everything started becoming easier, more open. Everything started becoming less serious in a lot of ways. Right? Everything started kind of opening up. This freedom started kind of pervading and and I get this a lot, you know, when I meet somebody, even if they've never met me or they've never heard of me, I'll meet them and they'll go, oh, you look very peaceful, or you seem like a really friendly or open. Like I get all this feedback that people often just by seeing me or saying hi to me, they'll feel something in the field of my presence or whatever, that they're like, oh, like, you seem like you're interested, you know. And, 
And that's kind of the point is that the Buddha didn't teach meditation for you to be going and sitting alone in a cave forever and meditating unless that's really what you wanted because ultimately you want to free yourself, right? That's kind of what he was going with it all. You have to free yourself, but there was a Sangha, there was a community of practitioners and you had to go into town every day to get alms. So built into the Buddhist system, the monastic system especially, you had to be in constant interaction with other people. You know, you have the other monks and nuns you're living with. You had to go and get your food and go through the town every day as a beggar. Yeah, talk about like a humbling, vulnerable experience. Every day you're walking with your bowl and your life depends on people giving you food. You know, so that was woven into it. So, and then from that point, then you take it and then you go and you practice and you kind of reflect and you go in. But every single day you put yourself back out there. You have to be back in touch with the world. And that's kind of your mirror and your reflection so that somebody couldn't get lost in fantasies of like, oh, I'm this amazing, enlightened meditator. But then they get pissed off at the first person that doesn't bow to them or something, right? <laughs> so the path and the practice, it's definitely woven and it's part of life. And the point is, it's not like, I mean, I could say, yeah, I've said this like a million times, but meditation is not separate from life, but the practice of meditation that, like, why are we sitting now in a dark basement together if it's this, you know, you need to create the right conditions to practice. You know, in the, in the Buddhist teachings, he said, go to the base of a tree, go to an abandoned hut, go, like, go somewhere that you can be alone. You know, you're not going to be there with the phone calls and the kids and working on your boat and the TV and all this stuff. That's your mind's all over the place. When you're, when you're all over the place, your mind is all over the place. So you need to create an environment that you can sit, you can drop in, you can make these experiences. Yeah? And then you can go back into life, but then you have to come back into this place. And those two things start to kind of work together. Yeah? That this is your place, this is like the training ground, this is the place where like, I can really drop in with my mind. Yeah? I can't do this while I'm driving. Yeah, I can't do this when I'm, you know, I don't know what, at the bank or something. You know, this is, I can do this here. I can close my eyes and I can sit for an hour or half an hour and I can drop in and nobody's going to distract me. I don't have any other obligations or responsibilities. My responsibility in this room is to drop in with myself. That is my responsibility. You know, and that's why we create the space together so that we can do this and practice. And then we can take it back into our lives but the point is, is that the deeper that we can go in this space, the more we can kind of start training the mind, the more we can start understanding how things are. Um, when we go back into our lives, we can then start noticing the shift and we can start shifting things too, right? Like I said, when I was in meditation and I realized all of my anger came from not setting boundaries, like you bet, next, as soon as I left that room and somebody wanted me to do something I didn't want to do, I said no. You know, and I set that down. And I was like, wow, and I was not sure about that, no, but I said, I have to say this for myself because I'm not going to let myself be angry anymore. Yeah? Because meditation, it shows you what's going on inside of your mind. It's like, how are you doing? It's almost like uh, if you had a bedroom that was always dark, and meditation, it's like you're turning on the light in the bedroom and you're seeing, like, what's in this room? Are there spiders and mice and trash everywhere? Or is my bed made and everything's nice? Like in meditation, you're really seeing how am I doing with my maintenance? How am I doing? Yeah, how's my mind doing, right? Same like going to the gym, how's my body doing? It's like in meditation, it's like how's my, how am I doing? How's my mind? 
Yeah, and if you see that your mind is off, you understand why it's off in the meditation, but then when you go back into your life, you then take those same principles and say, well, how can I live my life in a different way that when I go back to my meditation and check in with myself, that that's now okay, that that part's doing well, that part's healed. And that's like why I asked you about the anger before, especially because I was like, what anger is it? What is the anger, right? Because only by really looking at, well, why am I angry? What is this actually about? What's my point? And I bet he's not angry at the same reason you're angry, and you're not angry at the same reason that I get angry. Yeah, all the anger probably comes from different places, right? So really understanding what that is. Um, but also realizing just on the deepest level of, of our experience of reality, just our deep experience of life, of being a human incarnated being right here, meditation can crack that at the deepest levels. And that doesn't stay in the basement of the church. That follows you while you're sitting there with your bow. You'll just be kind of in the Zen bliss Buddha state because you've done it, you know. And all these people will come up to you with all their problems and it will just kind of, it won't kind of connect and get you going. You'll just be totally, you know, at peace and at Zen. And you'll look at the other people around you and you'll be like, oh, wow, you still really believe that you exist, don't you? You know, you'll really see that. And that's how it was. You know, I left the meditation. I walked around and I saw people in their worlds, right, taking in all this information that was making them angry. And they're thinking thoughts and their bodies tensing and getting fiery. And they're, they're like self-contained anger balls, you know. And it's crazy when you see it like this. You watch people and you see how they're looking around and they're perceiving. You see how their mind is going. You see what feelings come up and what their body's doing. And everyone is just this self-contained little ecosystem of suffering, you know, or not, depending, right? Yeah. Um, but really seeing that happening from the outside, you're like, God, how stupid we're all, you know. That's why the Buddha really said, yeah, it's ignorance, you know? And then you look at yourself and you're like, God, I'm stupid too. And I've been really stupid. And I hope, you know, that stupidness ends right now. Um, so if you really get into that, you'll see that it, it's not separate because it, it changes your entire experience of this, of this place, of life. And you will carry that everywhere you go. Yeah, but the way to get there, it's through this, right? It's through creating a situation. It's through fo following the breath. Um, if you think about like when I go camping, you know, we make fires. If you want to make a fire, you gather the wood and you have to gather the kindling and then you gather the little pieces of grass and you gather the really fine things that burn easily and you have to make sure they're dry. Yeah, they have to be dry to start a fire. You have to find the driest stuff, and you have to burn the little stuff, and then the little stuff can grow the bigger stuff, and the bigger stuff can grow, and then finally you get the logs, and you can put big logs on it, then you can get a bonfire, and then even if it starts raining, that fire doesn't go out, right? So it's not like you say, well, what's the point of a fire if a little rain can put it out? It's like, no, you need to start with a dry, you need to start in a dry place to get the fire going, and then the fire can withstand everything. You know, it's the same thing like with this practice. It's like you have to first start practicing in a place, in an environment, in a way that's accessible, that's easy. And once your practice takes root, once your fire starts going, you can go around into the world and that will be, the Buddha says, it's like unshakable, like a mountain. You're unshakable because it's, it's so strong that nothing can touch it. Yeah, but you need to create the conditions to arise that, to create it. You need the situation, right? So... It's kind of like, like we can't confuse the means and the ends. 
right? Because like, like the question you were saying, it almost feels like it's confusing the means and the end. It's like, well, if we're just sitting here meditating, but there's life out there. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're doing this because of that, to get to that. Ultimately, of course, the goal is to be free in our lives. Our goal is not to have to sit and meditate. The Buddha said, once you cross the river, you don't carry the raft on your back and keep walking. Yeah, the raft is just used to cross the river and you leave the raft there. Yeah, so these practices, we use them because they show us something, they build something, they bring us to a place. And then you're done with them, you've done it. Congratulations, I've cracked it open, I'm free. You know? uh, but because a lot of us, it's gonna take a while and you know, like we're still crossing that river, we're still on the raft, so we also, again, can't confuse things. We have to really understand that I'm still crossing that river, I'm still on the raft. If I abandon the raft now, I will drown. And when I look around me, not in this room, but when I look around me in the world, I see a lot of people who are drowning. Like, everybody. Like, people that are lost, people that are confused, people that are overdosing on drugs, people with depression and anxiety, people that don't know who they are, they don't know what they want, they don't know what they're doing, they don't know what direction they're going in, right? I see a sea, uh, just an endless sea of lost souls when I look around me in the world. Yeah, and it breaks my heart, really because I know that it doesn't have to be like that, but people don't really know another way. Yeah, and so it's really important for us to just understand that I have to do this for myself. I have to get my direction for myself. I have to understand this for myself. And from that place, then I can do whatever the hell I want for the rest, you know, into life. And again, the Buddha often brought this thing about rebirths in many lives, just to open the perspective and say, it's not even just about this little thing here. He's like, if you, can imagine something like rebirths happening. This has been going on forever. You know, we've been, we've been sitting in basements meditating for a long time. Yeah, this has been going on for a while. You know, and he's like, so it's so imperative that now that you have the teachings, you have the conditions, you're living in a time that there was a Buddha. You're living in a time that the teachings are still there. You have an abled body and an abled mind that can apprehend the teachings. And you have a wish to practice the teachings and you have the conditions to practice, and you have somebody teaching you, and you have people who are joining you. To bring all those conditions together is so incredibly rare. So, you think about the people who were born just before the Buddha. They didn't get it, yeah? Think about even people that were alive when the Buddha was alive, but they were living in Africa or in Canada. What is now Canada, yeah? They didn't get the teachings. Yeah, what about all the people driving by the sign outside of our church that says mindfulness and meditation right here, right now at this time? Hundreds of people, people walking by. There's a train stop there. I've watched people, people just walking past this room. Yeah? So think about how good your karma is to be just sitting here in this room right now. Yeah, with all of these conditions lining up and all that's needed is for you just to do it. Yeah, it's super rare, super, super, super rare and special to be living in this exact set of conditions that you can practice, seriously. So that's all things that we really need to take to heart and to understand and to realize and to make the most of that. And that's not to say to feel bad about yourself. or to, you know, We're not here to should ourselves into practicing. Yeah, but you've just been afforded such an incredible opportunity and it, it's just a shame. And again, right, if you look at the TV, you see what's going on in the world, that's because they don't have this, right? So it's like we really want to use this opportunity to the best of our ability and for ourselves and for the world, for everybody, really. So I would say that that's my, like, 
inspirational talk for this evening. And we have about a half an hour, so I would say that we just drop in and do a half hour meditation together and yeah, really just go for it. And um, remember that the meditation, it has to feel good too, right? So we're not here to force and to push and to ask why <coughs> it's not working. We're here to really water the flowers in our minds and enjoy and feel good about ourselves and let it kind of take over from there, right? Feed the right conditions. So yeah, get in a position that feels comfortable.